Charlie Kirk fights for freedom of speech. Comedian Jackie Mason supports Israel. And singer Mallory Hope performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Well, welcome, everybody. We are delighted to have you here. We've got a very enthusiastic crowd. We actually have some people from Raleigh, North Carolina here tonight. We are happy to have them and happy to have you. Hey, you have probably heard the term identity politics, but let's talk about exactly what that means and how it could affect you. Identity politics is basically the notion that a candidate's credibility has more to do with various attributes or identifiable descriptions than the person's actual qualifications, experience, personal ethics, or even policy positions. Now, in the new world order of the increasingly far left, what you have successfully done, what you have done uh, your life and how well you've done it or what you propose to do, that's of far less importance than is your gender, race, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or your level of disability. In other words, it is the opposite of an America as designed where all of us were created equal, endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You've heard that before. It's also the opposite of the kind of nation that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed of when he longed for the day in which his children would be judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. Now listen to many of the candidates for president from the left, and they focus on being a woman, a gay, being either non-religious or maybe non-traditional in whatever their faith is, or being black or Hispanic, rather than in expressing qualification in terms of what they would bring to the office or how they have achieved their life goals so far and what specifically they plan to do to create a more perfect union. Some express a greater desire to make sure that law-abiding citizens are prohibited from owning firearms than stopping lawbreakers from entering the country illegally. Oh, and the latest, proposing that we go well beyond allowing people to earn back their rights following the successful rehabilitation from prison to now demanding that those currently serving in prison for crimes, even if things like murder, rape, or child molestation, should have the right to vote in prison. Let that sink in a minute. I mean, do we really think the Boston Marathon bomber ought to be voting? Well, Bernie Sanders and some of his colleagues running for president think so. Now, I am certainly open to the notion that when a person adjudicated of a nonviolent crime has completed his or her sentence, and that person demonstrates a life of reform, we should consider restoring certain rights of citizenship that were lost during the criminal sentence. But the idea that someone still incarcerated for murder, armed robbery, selling drugs or rape, ought to be able to vote while in prison, frankly, that seems ludicrous. I mean, if we restore voting rights, what other rights do we have to restore while they're in prison? Free speech so the inmate can make speeches in the prison yard, advocating overthrow of the guards? Or do we restore Second Amendment gun rights and allow current inmates to be armed? Of course, that's absurd and extreme, but any notion of people voting from their prison cell is absurd and extreme. Look, we're one of the few places on earth where we get to choose our leaders by voting. Hopefully, we choose our leaders prayerfully and carefully, not because we're the same color, the same gender, the same religion, the same ethnicity, or the same hair color but because we share common biblical values, have the same hopes for coming generations, and desire similar improvements in our society. You've probably figured out, I don't like identity politics. I think it cheapens our freedom, and then it makes us slaves to external characteristics rather than to our internal character. Voting for someone just because she's a woman, 
is sexist as much as voting for someone just because he's a man. You see, I want a government that actually works for the diverse people rather than one that's only about having diverse people hold the offices. I frankly don't care so much if a candidate is male or female, white or black, Christian or Jew, or even straight or gay. I care that they tell me what qualifies them for office, what they've done to give me confidence that they can lead, and maybe, maybe bring some proposals that really will make us a better nation. I think that makes more sense. Well, President Trump recently issued a much-needed executive order protecting free speech on college campuses. Donald Trump Jr. acknowledged how much my first guest had to do with that. I want you to welcome the founder and the executive director of Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk. So, Charlie, how big a deal was it that the president issued the executive order about free speech on college campuses? It was historic. And for those that are not as into the college campus controversies as I am, uh, these campuses have become islands of totalitarianism, where if you disagree with the predominant left-wing viewpoint on campus, you could be disinvited. You can be shut up. You could be silenced. You have and been on many Many times, whether it be DePaul University in Chicago or Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. And what this executive order did is very simple. It's not a conservative or a liberal issue. It's an issue of constitutional freedom, that if a university fails to protect the First Amendment rights of its students, their federal funding could potentially be put in jeopardy. When you've been on college campuses, you have actually been shouted down, you've been disinvited, you've been escorted off the campus. What was the reason you were given for being shown the door? Well, the universities, they, they're careful not to view, blame viewpoint. They'll, they'll use, oh, it's too expensive to bring him to campus because of all the protests. Now, mind you, the professors are telling their students to go protest me. The administration does nothing to prevent this sort of um, incitement amongst the students. And then they blame the high security costs because of the very students that are being told to go protest us. But the, the, the common den denominator is this, is that college campuses should be a marketplace of ideas where you can have debate and dialogue and discussion, where you can hear something that is different than the point of view that you're entering with. That college campuses are a place where students should leave, should leave more mature than when they enter. Hmm. And right now, that's not the case. Students are actually isolated. They're, they're sheltered away from any sort of opposition viewpoint. Their safe spaces, for example, are, are common on universities across uh, college campuses. And you've had some brilliant commentary on this, Governor, where students, if they hear an opinion they might find objectionable, quite honestly, if they hear something they disagree with, they can retreat to a physical safe space where there's milk and cookies. It sounds like almost like a joke, but this is something that our college campuses are pushing. The colleges should be about career preparation and getting students hardened for the real world, not sheltering them from differing opinions. When Turning Point USA started back in 2012, um, I, I mean, it was just a dream you had. Now you and Candace Owens and others in Turning Point, you have chapters all over America. Explain to us the vision of Turning Point. What is it that you guys are doing on campuses to give people a sense of their freedom and their constitutional rights. Well, well thank, thank you for the kind words. I, I started this and I was 18 years old with a no connections, <laughs> no money, and no idea what I was doing. Um, but only in America could a kid with no money, no connections, and no idea what he was doing risk it all, not even go to college, be an entrepreneur at heart with, with a vision and hard work and succeed. Only in America is that possible. And for the last six and a half years now, we've seen this organization grow from just my idea uh, just an idea in my head, to now 1,400 college and high school 1400. campuses. 1,400. That's correct. That um, is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. What a legacy. And our vision, our vision is to win America's culture war. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, it's to answer the really big questions. What kind of country are we going to be? Are we going to be a country that embraces the Latin phrase e pluribus unum, which means out of many one, which your beautiful monologue touched on? Or are we going to be a country that is divide and conquer, which is what the American left is really striving for. Yeah. Are, are we going to be a country of victims or victors? 
Are we going to be a country that is thankful that we live here or a country that we're angry that we live here? These are the fundamental questions that will determine the current culture conversation that we're in. We call it a culture war, obviously a metaphorical culture war. And right now you have an entire political party, an entire sector of the American cultural conversation that wants to make us centered on victims, divide and conquer, and angry that they live in America. So what are the key things that you're trying to say to these students? Three really big things. America's the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world. The Constitution, thank you. <laughs> Can't argue with that. The second thing is the Constitution's the greatest political document ever written. And the third thing, and the, and the third thing is that free enterprise capitalism is the most moral, proven, and effective economic system ever discovered. These are the three big things that we bring to campuses. I'll tell you, these are not political issues, Governor. We have been given a gift by God to live in this country. And yes, I'm afraid we that we are on a path of losing that because of a lack of appreciation of the fundamental values and the improbability that we're able to exist in this country at this time. I love your enthusiasm and even your optimism because a lot of us are looking at uh, college students and particularly the entire millennial generation and we're seeing them say, we want socialism, mm -hmm. you know, we don't want free speech. But you're giving me a little bit of hope, Charlie, yeah. that it, once they understand what the options are, they're not averse to taking the right path. N not at all, and th the importance of our fight is, is so critical right now, because whatever happens on campus today will happen in Congress tomorrow. The radicals that might give you unease that you see in Congress, they were trained on college campuses, mm. and that's where they got these negative ideas. And so the culture battle that we're fighting today is gonna have both short and long-term ramifications. My thanks to Charlie Kirk for helping just fight the battle for free speech against mobs and the thought police on America's campuses. If you wanna learn more and see how you can help, and you can help, uh, and I hope you will, if you like what Charlie is saying, visit Turning Point USA online at tpusa.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at charliekirk11. And I tell you something, his Twitter account is phenomenal. You'll, you'll want to sign up for Twitter just to follow Charlie. All right, Keith, why don't you exercise your First Amendment rights and you can tell us what's on the rest of the show. I would love to. Coming up, Pat Williams on the need for character and celebrate comedy legend Jackie Mason. Later, Dr. Jack Graham talks angels. Plus, Huck's hero Nancy Alcorn. And one of these two singers will be performing right here on Huckabee. And welcome back, everybody. I want to remind you that there is a great special coming up on TBN on Sunday. And it's great, even though it's hosted by me. But that's not the important part. It's a half-hour heart-to-heart talk with a young lady I know fairly well, my daughter, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Be sure to tune in for a special edition. It's called Conversations on Sunday right here on TBN. I think you'll find it most interesting. Well, my next guest is Senior Vice President of the NBA's Orlando Magic. He's an executive with over 50 years' experience, and he's authored over 100 books. Think about that, 100 books. His latest is this gem called Character Carved in Stone, The 12 Core Virtues of West Point That Build Leaders and Produce Success. It is a real honor to welcome a dear friend, Pat Williams. Pat, glad to have you here. Governor. How are you? Thank you. This book is of special interest to me because you talk about the 12 core values of West Point, the military academy. What is it about West Point that is a unique breeding ground for leaders? Leaders, when I go to West Point, and I've been there a number of times, Mike, immediately you're hit with three things. Leadership, teamwork, and beat Navy. <laughs> I mean, all over the campus, you see nothing but these signs, no matter the time of year, beat yeah. Navy. Well, they invited me to speak to their sports teams a few years ago, Mike, the men and women's teams and the coaches, and I did that. And afterwards, they gave me a wonderful tour of the campus, which is quite thrilling. And mm. we ended up in a little park called Trophy Point, looking out over the historic Hudson River. And I noticed a series of benches, stone benches. I counted them. There were 12 of these benches that were winding their way through the park. I said, well, that's kind of interesting. But for some reason, 
I decided to walk over and look at one of the benches. I'm glad I did. Because at the end of that bench, on either end of the bench, there was a word carved into the stone. And I kept looking all the way through. There was a different word carved into each one of the 12 benches. And then I thought, there's got to be a backstory here. Well, there was. Uh, the West Point class of 1934, hmm. on their 50th class reunion, 1984, they donated those benches to the school as a gift. And then based on their service during World War II and Korea, they picked these 12 words that they found had been most important to them in their life as leaders during combat and during those war periods. Mm. Of, of all those uh, virtues that you saw on those 12 benches, what were some that touched you or impacted you the most? Well, the first one was compassion. We used Ulysses as Grant. You don't here. think of compassion when a military oh, operation. Well, with Grant, he was compassionate toward those men. And he had great compassion in his home. He loved mm. his wife. And he was compassionate toward the horses uh, that they all rode yeah. on. The story is told of Grant coming down a pathway. He noticed off to the side uh, this soldier that was just beating and whipping his horse unmercifully. And Grant exploded with anger and went over to that young soldier, threatened him with an inch of his life. Uh, Grant just could not stand mm. to see an animal abused. So another way of putting compassion, perhaps, Mike, are people skills. Wow. Great leaders have people skills. Uh, under integrity, uh, we talked about Dwight D. Eisenhower, uh, who has said many times that he thinks the, the most important thing in any walk of leadership is integrity. He said you can't lead without it. The other one, uh, uh, Mike, is uh, Matthew Ridgway. Hmm. Uh, we do a chapter on him, and uh, I'm picturing it's D-Day. We write about this. It's D-Day. And rather than being back in England or out in the English Channel, you know, he, his specialty was, was parachuting in. There is General Ridgway parachuting in with his troops, huh. you know, in the dark of night on the first day of D-Day into, into uh, German-held France. And, and right there with his men parachuting in, we were able to dig out some really interesting stories about uh, some of these remarkable people. And what, Pav, what are the great applications that the average business person, housewife, school teacher, police officer can glean from a book about military heroes who went to West Point? Because not everybody goes to West Point, but there's gotta be an application there. Mike, everything rises and falls on leadership in our country at every level. And we need strong leadership in our homes, in our churches, our schools, in our sports, in business. We do. Uh, leadership always starts with vision. Great leaders are visionaries. They see the future before it gets here. And they have the wonderful ability to communicate that vision effectively. I mentioned people skills. That's the third aspect. You can't be a great leader if you don't have a, a heart and empathy and love for people. And then character counts in leadership. It was Norman Schwarzkopf who said, I am convinced that leadership consists of two vital components. He said strategy and character. And then he said, if you have to do without one, he said, do without the strategy. Hmm. And then finally, every great leader I've ever studied, by and large, they have a serving heart. Huh. Uh, Jesus was the ultimate model of yeah. serving hearted leadership. And to be a great leader, to have that heart of service first before you lead, is really significant. Those are just a few thoughts that come to mind. Pat, thank you. Your book is such a terrific thank reminder you, of really what made America great. Uh, and, and some of the people who have helped shape this country through their unselfish service. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Mike. All the best to you. All right, Keith, why don't you tell everybody how they can get a copy of this great book by Pat Williams. Well, the book Character Carved in Stone is available at Amazon and all major booksellers. You can also learn more at patwilliams.com. Keep up with him on Facebook, at Orlando Magic Pat Williams, and on Twitter, at Orlando Magic Pat. Next, the funniest news of the week on In Case You Missed It, and comedy icon Jackie Mason, later best-selling author Dr. Jack Graham, Huck Zero Nancy Alcorn, and singer Mallory Hope performs on Huckabee. Welcome back. 
Join me this August along with former Senator Rick Santorum, financial expert Dan Celia, and a great lineup of entertainers as we cruise the Baltic Sea on our own private luxury liner. That's right, just us on the ship. I have some scenic stops in places like Denmark, Russia. There will be collusion, I assure you. We'll be in Sweden, Finland, and Estonia. And there's going to be some great food, wonderful entertainment, and plenty of time to fellowship together. Be sure, join us for the trip of a lifetime, August 9th through the 17th. Just go to thegreatesttrip.com and make your reservation. I look forward to seeing you on the boat. We're going to have a great time. Well, from an ex-lax pizza to sleeping on the job at NASA, we've got the news that's out of this world on a segment we like to call In Case You Missed It. All right, who doesn't like a great pizza? Well, one pizzeria in Springtown, Texas, that usually packs them in, had to turn them away before they were even served, as in closed down for the weekend. Now, before you get all crusty, here's the reason why. You see, a few of the employees at Mr. Jim's Pizza got an idea for a new pizza topping, laxatives. Yeah, one of them posted on social media that they were putting Miralax on the pizzas that they were preparing. I mean, maybe they could team up with Taco Bell and give whole new meaning to run for the border. <laughs> the city health inspector pulled the business permit of the restaurant. That is, until they were able to inspect and clear the restaurant of any further complication. Or constipation, as the case may be. Now, Mr. Jim's Pizza stated that the employees involved in this prank have been terminated. I'm sure they have. And for those of you in Spring Hill, Texas, I hope you'll get out to Mr. Jim's and order a pizza. After being shut down, I'm sure that he needs the dough. Okay. The audience is just now coming to grips with that, I think. Well, on the hills of last weekend's Easter festivities, a woman was being accosted by a drunken man in the downtown Orlando area when who should come to the rescue but a giant Easter bunny? <laughs> Folks, this is truly a hair-raising story. An Orlando promoter caught the whole event on his phone. The lady was defending herself against the drunken man when the knight in fluffy armor hopped to it and came to the damsel's rescue. And then, my friend, the fur was flying. <laughs> I gotta be wondering if that promoter happens to be an MMA promoter. I mean, he's got an opportunity with this pugilistic bunny, no kidding. And by the way, the police officer who broke things up said, no arrest, our reports were filed. I like that. <laughs> Don't mess with the Easter Bunny. By the way, when the loser was taken to the emergency room, he was alleged to have said, ah, what's up, doc? <laughs> he really said that, I'm pretty sure. Hey, do you have one of those adult kids still living at home, lying around your house wondering what to do with their life? Well, why not recommend they get paid to lay down and eat all your food up? Okay, here's the deal. NASA and the European Space Agency are looking for some qualified people to lie in bed for two months. Pretty sure that's every teen or college-age man or woman in the USA. In return for sharing that skill, they're going to be paid $18,500. I know what you're thinking. Hey, where was this job in the 70s? Look, I'm with you on that one. Now, the job is based in Cologne, Germany, so you even get foreign travel. But you do need to speak Deutsch. The official name of the study is Artificial Gravity Bed Rest Study. But there is a catch. You have to be a woman, not just identify as one for the two-month job. You actually have to be one. And those hired will have to stay in bed 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 60 straight days. That means no getting up for bathroom breaks, bathing, or meals. You get to do all of them right in the comfort of your bed. I think they'll get rid of those beds after the 60 days. And you have to lie with your head slightly tilted six degrees to recreate the space flight conditions. Now, if volunteers are hoping to get some exercise, no worries. There is a bed cycle and some other fitness equipment that you can use while lying down. Man, this is sounding more and more like a dream job. 
So if you think you can handle it, sign up while you still can. Governor, Governor. Yeah, excuse Keith. Me, excuse me. I, I've yeah. been waiting all night to tell you this. I'm sure you have. Do you know where an astronaut parks his spaceship? I honestly have no idea. Well, of course, at a parking meteor. Oh. <laughs> Audience, you can beat him up later. Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that joke was so bad, they, they didn't did, even it, jump yeah. when you said Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah. It's all in the way you say yeah, it, Keith. Timing is everything. All right, turning to our Florida file, which we seem to have every week. The city of Doral, seeking to improve their level of English for students, asked some contractors to fix their work on a Skull Hall crossing zone. <laughs> That's right, the city of Doral revealed the mistake on social media with the following note. This school zone striping was handled by the developer's contractor. They have been notified, and they are working expeditiously to correct it. In a related story, any town traffic signs that say YOLO will be replaced as soon as possible. <laughs> and in the Florida town of Dunedin, a man decided to burglarize a Little League concession stand in the nude. Well, to be fair, he did have on a ball cap and gloves. The Pinellas County Sheriff's Office said the naked burglar stole cameras and a cash box with $250 inside and he caused $5,000 in damage. Apparently the concession stand and the burglar both came up a little short. <laughs> the surveillance video also showed the all-natural thief taking a package of hot dogs. I guess he wanted something to go along with his buns. What he should have done is stolen some clothes. Now, authorities have asked, if you see this man, hopefully not all of him, that you avert your eyes and then alert authorities. All right, well, like a bird-free cuckoo clock, we've run out of time. But always remember that we read the news. Well, on a recent trip to New York, I had the extreme pleasure of sitting down with the pride of Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And he's one of the funniest human beings to ever inhabit our planet, comedian Jackie Mason. I asked him about how he got out of the family business of being a Jewish rabbi and into the world of stand-up comedy in the Big Apple. Before com comedy, you were a rabbi, is that right? right? So uh, when I did sermons, I said to myself, I'll enjoy some lighthearted things as a change of pace. So I started enticing some jokes here and there whenever it was relevant to the subject. And before you know it, the sermons became a hit. Then I told more jokes and it became a bigger hit. For my sermons, I got about 11 people. When I started to do more and more comedy, it went up to 20 people, 30, 40. Before you know it, you couldn't get into the building. Then I said to myself, if I could attract that many people as a comedian, why should I only do it here? So I, I didn't have the nerve to tell it to my parents because they only lived for the thought that I'll be a rabbi. I had three brothers. They all became rabbis before me. All three of them? All three of them. We, I come from an inheritance of rabbis that goes back at least a, a year and a half. The whole, the whole history of my life was always rabbis. Home of rabbis and very strict... Jewish parents, so the comedy gene somehow must be unique to you within the whole family. You're right. I had no idea to even think of not only of a comedian. The whole idea of the entertainment business was so <laughs> distant from a guy who's sitting there learning the Talmud day and night and studying day and night to become a rabbi. Could you imagine a guy like this suddenly thinking he'll be, he'll be on the stage in a nightclub where people have their clothes almost <laughs> off? Some people are wearing some clothes, some no clothes, and suddenly I joined them from, uh, from the Talmud in a small town to a guy in New York all of a sudden in front of a mob like this telling <laughs> jokes. But the offerings were better in the nightclubs, I guess, than in the uh, synagogue. So the offerings, <laughs> that's right, the offerings <laughs> was right. Did, did the inspiration for comedy and the jokes? Did it just come from people you knew or just stuff that you thought of? I don't even know where I get it from. 
I'm observing life day and night, and I get a kick out of seeing people behaving however they do, and I find myself unconsciously, subconsciously, studying everybody. What's on their mind, I say to myself. Or for instance, I, I watch couples all the time, and I say to myself very often, how come you never see a couple where the guy is shorter than the girl? Children, let's say, to meet in a restaurant and they're sitting next to each other. And the girl goes crazy about this guy. This is the most interesting person she ever saw. And she can't wait to take him back to his, her children, her mother, her brother, and take him all over the world so everybody should look at him. This is my new man. I'm dying for him. Then he gets up from the chair. Ay, boy, it's all over. <laughs> she's six foot two and he's one foot and a half. And you think she's going to keep talking to him? The love affair is over as soon as he gets up from the floor. One of the things that I have admired about you for a long time, you are an outspoken and courageous uh, voice for the importance of America's alliance with Israel. And you, you don't mince words. You're clear you're bold. A lot of entertainers don't even get into issues that would be controversial. You've never backed away. But it's Important not only Israel. I'm very, I'm a, a rabid, a phenomenal kind of a patriot about Israel. But I think I, I never wanted to compromise my ideas about anything. Hmm. I never said to myself, if I don't say this, who knows, my career burst out much bigger because the people who control the industry might think one way, and if I think another way, they won't be able to accept me. Because yeah, I did it a lot of times. Like, Trump is a perfect example. Everybody in Hollywood hates Trump. They don't even know why they hate him. Trump lowered all their taxes. And all these people who work in Hollywood, I'm paying half the taxes now than they did a year ago. So you would think they would love Trump. He's Look what he did for me. All of a sudden, I couldn't afford a building on Third Street. <laughs> now I could buy five buildings in Philadelphia. <laughs> why, why would you hate a guy who did this for you? If I came to you and I cut all your taxes in half, would you say, drop dead, you little... <laughs> <laughs> no, I probably wouldn't. I think I'd be this grateful. This is amazing. Everything he wants to do or did, he accomplished so much for them in every direction. I mean, there's no retiring of Jackie Mason. You, you just keep going. It's amazing that you uh, uh, continue to do what you do. I do, I do what I do, and if it's, I try to enjoy it, and I do enjoy it. And I don't care if somebody likes it or don't. A lot of times, I remember when uh, Barack Obama, mm. when he became president, the Jews loved him. The Jews love anybody who's a liberal. Why is that, Jackie, that uh, the, the, the people on the left, within the Jewish community, uh, support the people that are really out there? They don't like Israel. They may be Jews, but they don't even like Israel. They don't support it. I would say, I've heard you ask this question on television before, mm. and I notice you don't have an answer. And you know what I notice? I don't know either. I have no idea. I'll never be able to figure out, because Jews have a kind of a of a complex that they have to prove they go with the majority, that they do not stand out as an individual from a minority. And all the Jews in general try to prove to you that I'm not that Jewish. You know the criticism I've gotten all my life from What's Jews that? who said to me, why do you sound so Jewish? They get <laughs> nauseous that I sound Jewish. Am I supposed <laughs> to sound like a Puerto Rican? What am I supposed to sound like? <laughs> They can't tolerate somebody who sounds Jewish. And because a big percentage of Jews are embarrassed by their Jewishness. If a Jew has a Jewish accent, they can't tolerate it. Jackie, thanks for what you've stood for, That's for America, very, very for Israel, sweet of you to say. and for great comedy. Very sweet of you to say. I, I appreciate you. your sincerity because it's hard to find that in a politician. Well, well, good luck to you. Let thanks. me know if you need me again. I do. But, but I won't <laughs> have the time. <laughs> <laughs> At 87 years young, Jackie Mason is an American comic treasure. Be sure to visit JackieMason.com for plenty of performances that'll make you laugh, not to mention his Ultimate Jew video blog. Every story, every punchline is flat out hilarious. And I hope you'll join him in his support of the nation of Israel. All right, Keith, tell us about the amazing things that's still ahead in our show. Well, coming up, author Dr. Jack Graham and the reality of angels. 
Huck's hero, Nancy Alcorn, shows what mercy is. And Curb Records' Mallory Hope performs on Huckabee. Well, my next guest hosts PowerPoint Ministries and is pastor of the Prestonwood Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. It is one of the largest congregations in the entire country. His new book, latest book, is called Angels, Who They Are, What They Do, and Why It Matters. And on May the 3rd, I'm going to be joining him in Washington for the Faith Family Freedom Concert. Please welcome a very dear friend and, by the way, a native Arkansan, right. Dr. Jack Graham. So great to be with you. Thank you. I want to talk about the uh, the big rally and the musical, but first, let's talk about angels, because sometimes I think I could use one. I, I used to think maybe the angel subject was kind of a fringe subject. Yeah. But uh, when I began to study my Bible, I was, I was challenged to study my Bible, and, you know, angels are on nearly every page. There are over 300 references to the Bi in the Bible to angels, and especially at the time of Christ. And so if you believe the Bible, you're going to believe in angels because uh, they're through and through the Scriptures. And past, present, and future, they're all around us. Some people think that angels are people who have died, and then they yeah. become angels. But that's really not no. biblical. No, there are a lot of myths, and I deal with some of the myths about yeah. uh, angels. That's one of them, uh, especially babies. You know, Others think that uh, angels are soft, cuddly little creations when they're actually powerful and mighty uh, warriors. No, angels are a separate creation of God made for His glory. Uh, they worship Him 24-7, millennium after millennium throughout uh, their creation and will in eternity future as well. Uh, they're amazing uh, creations. And one of the reasons I wanted to write the book and, and communicate this message on angels is there is an unseen world all around us. And we often recognize that demons exist and Satan's powers exist, but what about the angels? Uh, when I read my Bible, I, I discovered that one-third of the heavenly host of angels fell, became demons. Two-thirds were left. We got them two to one on the angel side. I'm glad to know we're on the winning side. Yeah, we are on the winning side. I always that felt we were, sure. but uh, that, that kind of affirms it. Do people in modern day, do we ever encounter an angel and not know it? Is that possible? I, I believe we do. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews 13 that we may entertain angels unaware. We may engage angels uh, and not even realize that this is a supernatural being. I married one. Can I just throw oh, that in? Oh, Flattery will get you everywhere. I have an anniversary coming up, and just in case I forget it, I wanted to throw that in there. Wow, no, but, you you're know, working it now. I mean, most of the time we think of angels because we see them on television, like Touched by an Angel, which, yep. by the way, Roma Downey, the yep. wonderful, wonderful human She's being a great she person. is. Yep. She's like an angel. She wrote the forward to this wrote book. Wrote the forward to your book, which yep. I thought was pretty, pretty impressive. What I want to do in this book is, is help people open their eyes to the spiritual reality that the eternal things are the things that really last, not the temporal things, the things that we see. It's all going up in smoke. But what we can't see, that's the most real. And we exercise our faith and we see by faith. And because we believe God's word that angels truly are around us. Well, Jack, I want you to know this book is, uh, it's really a great reminder of truths of the Bible that we don't hear that much about. I mean, you don't hear a lot of sermons about angels. Right. Um, and again, a lot of what we hear is more mythological. Let's turn our attention to what's happening Friday, May 3rd in Washington, D.C., at Constitution Hall. Tell us about it. You, along with Bishop Harry Jackson of the Baltimore area and other guest speakers, but it's the choir, 300 voices plus others that will be joining us from the D.C. area. And we're going to be right there right after the National Day of Prayer, which is coming up this Thursday in Washington, D.C. And we're going to worship. We're going to preach. We're going to beg God for revival. We're going to ask God to move in our hearts. We're going to fill Constitutional Hall. 3,000 people are going to be there. It's a free ticket. All you got to do is register. So if people are in the, in the D.C., Baltimore area, uh, you know, there's a, there's a website you can go to and pick up on that and, and come and join us. It's going to be a great experience. But it's this coming Friday. Correct. Right after the day of prayer. Jack, I'm looking forward to being there. Dr. Jack Graham's inspiring book, it's called Angels, Who They Are, What They Do, and Why It Matters. It's available at all major booksellers or at jackgraham.org. Be sure and join us Friday, May 3rd, Washington, for the Faith Family Freedom Concert. All the information and free tickets 
PrestonwoodNDC.com. That's PrestonwoodNDC.com. I hope to see you in Washington this coming Friday. Keith, tell us what's next. Well, next, Huck's hero Nancy Alcorn and Mercy Multiply. Then Mallory Hope performs on Huckabee. Well, in our nation, an overwhelming number of women face powerful problems. Everything from eating disorders to sex trafficking to unplanned pregnancies. Tonight's Huck's Hero began a residential counseling program to help women understand that who they are is not defined by where they are. When I first started in 1983, the needs have become increasingly worse. Whereas one girl might have been sexually abused or, or been pregnant, or maybe have a drug problem. Uh, today, one girl can walk in and have all of the above, plus more. And even though the issues are much more traumatic today than they were, you know, when I first started, he's up for the challenge and there's nothing too hard for God. God has set me free from self-harm. I am free. I am free from all condemnation. I'm grateful for the foundation that mercy helped to lay in my life. There's so many great things that are going on through the lives of the girls. I mean, literally, God is multiplying his, himself through the outreaches, all the things that these young women are doing in the United States and beyond. And really, mercy multiplied is a more accurate description of what's happening because all these years later, since 1983, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of young women that are out there doing great things because of what they experienced and the change that Christ did. He gave them a new heart and a new spirit, a new vision for their life, new purpose. It's a perfect description of what God does at Mercy Every Day. Mercy multiplied. Mercy Multiplied is a biblically-based residential program that helps women experience the transforming power of God. Please welcome the founder and president and our Huck's hero tonight, Nancy Alcorn. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Governor. It's an honor. Well, the honor is ours. I have admired what you have done. I, I've learned about it. What was the moment that started this direction for you in your life? I worked for five years at a girl's prison. So it was juvenile delinquent girls that were too young to go to the women's prison. And I was athletic director there. And there were 300 girls there at any one mm. given period of time. And governor, they would go back to the same neighborhoods they came from. The pimps, the gang members, the drug dealers were all waiting on them. Some of them ended up committing suicide mm. before their 18th birthday because we were told separation of church and state. You can't share Christ. And then I spent an additional three years investigating child abuse cases in the inner city of Nashville. And I started finding myself getting angry at God, like, God, why do you have me doing this? I would have nightmares about it. Why, why, why am I here? And he said, you just spent five years dealing with angry teenage girls, and now I'm taking you back in time and showing you what happened to them and why they're so angry. So after eight years of trying to help people the government's way, no results. I realized that God has not anointed the government to heal broken hearts wow. and set captives free. And that is so true. He's called us his people to do I mean, that. At best, the government can kind of contain people. Right. Well, how did you first start? You just go out and say, okay, I'm going to find 10 girls and create a home for them? I mean, it has to be a beginning somewhere. Huh? So the first home up in Louisiana, this is our 36th year, and I left uh, Tennessee with $1,000 in my pocket, and God said, I want you to take the young women in free of charge and they have to want help. They can't be sent. Hmm. They have to want help. Secondly, I want you to not ever take any government funding or any other funding that will restrict the freedom to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will heal broken hearts and help people walk in freedom. And thirdly, we tie this an organization to other Christian organizations that are helping hurting people. And the Lord was like, your needs will be met through your giving. And 36 years later, we've got uh, 
several homes in the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, were spreading across Europe, New Zealand, were opening in Northern Ireland in 2020. What typically happens that causes these people to be so lost in this world? Well, uh, what typically happens in a lot of the cases is that the young, young girls are sexually abused, sometimes as young as three and four years old. Oh my gosh. And uh, that's one of the common denominators, but also broken families. Like we have one girl that, that, I, um, that came in and her father was in prison, her mother was a drug addict, and she got put in a foster home before she was like even six years old, mm. and she got sexually abused in the foster home. Oh. So then she went to the grandparents' home, and she got sexually abused by close family members in the foster home. So her first suicide attempt was age nine, oh. and seven, uh, seven more suicide attempts later, she landed in the hospital at age 19, and these pastors in Ohio knew about our program and went and told her and she said, I want help. I can't live like this anymore. She came in and graduated six years ago and now she has gone and gotten education and she's working in a group home helping young people with disabilities. What a beautiful uh, reminder that there's no such thing as a person beyond redemption. Right. No such thing as a person who is beyond hope. You're giving hope and help to these young women that everyone else has given up on. Basically, people are realizing that, that God is always working in us you know, to, to free us so that we can help free other people. And uh, so it, it's exciting to see what's happening. Nancy, I wanna tell you, you truly are a hero. And thank you for sharing your great story. This book, Treatment or Transformation, 13 Real Stories, Why You Can't Argue with a Changed Life. I hope you'll get Nancy's book, learn about this incredible ministry. You can learn about her mission or get help by visiting mercymultiplied.com. That's mercymultiplied.com. It's on your screen. It's a ministry that is free to those who need the help. So reach out. Keith, why don't you give us a little uh, insight into what we have coming up? Oh, I'm excited. Next, Valerie Hope performs her latest hit on Huckabee. That's coming up in 60 seconds. And welcome back. My next guest has written songs for Faith Hill, Lauren Elena, and Danny Gokey. Now, as a singer and songwriter, she's releasing her debut album on Curb Records, and it's called Out of My Hands. Would you please welcome Mallory Hope. Mallory, thank you for being here. Thank what a joy. You. Thank you. When was your ambition stoked to be a singer-songwriter? I was nine years old. Yeah. I'm from Georgia, so that's why I sound funny. But mm. um, I, I You sound to... good to me, darling. <laughs> Great to me. I went to Nashville when I was nine, and I saw a little girl get on stage and sing Cowboy Sweetheart, and that's what did it for me. And I said, I don't want to be in sports anymore. I just want to sing and write songs, and that's what I started to do. How many songs have you written now? Oh, thousands. Lots. Thousands? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's just mind boggling. You, you don't look old enough to do one a day. And I have only done have thousands. 17 that are good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm convinced there's more than that that are, that are fantastic, Mallory. Thank you. So let's talk about uh, as a songwriter, you write a song, someone like Faith Hill records it, yeah. and you hear it on the radio. Yeah, what does that feel like? It's crazy. I've had a lot of just crying moments in my career where I've just, you know, thank God for everything he's given me and for moving me to Nashville with my family and giving me the opportunity to, to write songs for other people and also be the one to sing them. But do you ever hear the song being sung by somebody else and said, I should have held on to that one. I could have been a, yes. I could have been a star with yes, that one. Yes, yes, I, I do. <laughs> but every time it, it plays, you're thinking, cha-ching. Yeah. We call that mailbox money. Mailbox money. All you have to do is walk to the mailbox. Walk to the, you know, there's a great point. You don't even have to go on tour no. to collect mm -hmm. that. But we're happy to have you here. Thank and uh, let me just say, Keith, as Mallory gets ready to sing for us, why don't you tell the folks at home how they can get a copy of Mallory's wonderful music? Because they're going to want to. Well, you can get Mallory Hope's Out of My Hands on iTunes or wherever music is sold. And for more information on Mallory's career, please go to MalloryHopeMusic.com. And now, here to sing is Mallory Hope. I could be stronger. I could be braver. I could be someone who was never called a failure. I could have less doubts, I could have more faith, but I can come to you 
bold and unafraid I can be me a broken mess you need together perfectly a child you'll love no matter what the world may see in your eyes there's no one else I need to be I just need Can be me a grown.